I think I'm supposed to say Happy New Year. Uh, something like that, because it is that day, you know. Um, I, um, I don't know, I have multiple feelings at this point. Uh, I really, this knowing you, Jesus, that we sang a few moments ago, the content and the sermon really relate very, very clearly. But within the scripture and within the song, a lot of challenges are found. Um, and so today we're going to take a few minutes and look at the book of Philippians. And I hope as we go into a new year that we will challenge ourselves in a positive and exciting way, expecting to see some great things that God wants to do in our lives and in the lives of those people we know. This morning... Uh, my morning was a little different than normal. One part of it was normal. I woke up way too early. And then um, I got out and I shoveled the snow off in the back. And um, uh, that was uh, a little different than normal here because we don't do that a lot. But um, I uh, heard a little beeping and uh, checked on my, my phone and looked at the email. And it was a friend of mine that lives in Ohio. And he, I met him and got to know him when he was in Texas. And um, I was very much aware of what was going on. So yesterday, I had first sent him an email. And I said, you know, now again, being from America, um, we're sort of a sports-crazy country in a lot of ways. And um, uh, this weekend especially, there have been a lot of what we call university bowl games. And it's the big football games between the different teams playing off their competition to try to see who is the best. And Ohio State, which is where I knew he had gone to school, was playing against a school called Clemson. And so I wrote to my friend yesterday and I said, just thought of you today, want you to know I'm still praying for God and give me, give, continue to give blessings in your life and give you direction for how things are going. And by the way, I'm aware that Ohio State is playing today and I am watching the bowl game even though I am in Vancouver. And um, I don't uh, think it looks like a great uh, experience for you today. Well, indeed, Ohio State got destroyed in the game. So he wrote back this morning and um, as he wrote, he, he said, uh, well, I'm very appreciative that, um, that you wrote. It was great to be back in touch. But the main thing is, uh, I'm just thankful that it's a new year because now I can realize that Ohio State lost last year. Of course, last year was only yesterday, but it was still a very, very new wound in his heart because I knew how he was with that particular thing. But at any rate, today, we are thankful that it is a new year as we go forward. The book of Philippians, as we look at this, I want us to remember that in reality, it is a letter. And I think we need to constantly grasp that many of the prison letters that Paul wrote were written by himself in an environment that probably you or I would find great difficulty to sit around and think about the needs of others. We tend to be very selfish and focus on ourselves. But Paul, for some reason, had a special gift here. And as we look in chapter 1, or in, in part, first part of the letter, 
uh, we can see in verses 1 to 7 where he describes himself and he talks about his heart and his spirit and his burden and his concern for those people. He says that uh, he is a servant of Jesus Christ. He says he grants peace to them. He thanks God for them and he prays for them and he does all of this in joy. And so today we're looking, and I want us to look at the year that we have coming up with a sense of joy and expectation. We need to look at every day with a sense of joy and expectation. Even though we may be serious, even though we may be concentrated, even though we may be focused in our lives and in the importance and and, and the depth of what you're experiencing on a daily basis, we still have to focus it through joy. And this letter from Paul, we want to, first of all, remember as the writer who Paul was. And of course, the simple way is to remember, Paul was a guy who grew up with strong Jewish tradition, good biblical teaching. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he was also a persecutor of the church. With his skills and his understanding, he viewed the Christian church as a cult group not worthy of any respect. And so he was very strong in this. And yet, we remember that on the Damascus Road, he had an experience with the Lord. And as a result of that experience, this one-time persecutor and Pharisee that hated the Christian church suddenly miraculously became Paul from the word Saul. He was originally Saul. He changed his name to Paul. And that was a big move in his life. And I don't know how you are with this particular issue. But I know I've asked myself many times about Paul and his changing of his name. Uh, when he came from Saul to Paul, it, it was because it was, he had gone through a new experience. And so to change a name was a very common kind of practice. Uh, when I moved to Asia the first time and people kept asking, do you have any aliases? You know, in my mind I thought, I see an alias, that's always a bad thing, isn't it? Somebody's supposed to be. But you know, actually in our room here, some of you may have had one name and then have changed the name. Or maybe the spelling of your name has changed. For myself, when I first moved to Asia, I ended up getting a Chinese name for the first time in my life. Now, I've had that same name for over 40 years, so it's no longer an alias. It's who I am. But my name in Chinese means simple, which of course has to do with my thinking ability. And then the word is faithful to your country. Gan Guok Zhong. Gan Dan is because I'm a whole Gan Dan Gayan. And Guok Zhong is something I want to be faithful to the Lord. I want the Lord to run my life. I want Him to control me and give me my direction and my purpose in what I'm doing. And so I was fortunate because I had the same experience as Paul did as far as actually being able to get a new name that identifies with my faith. But Paul went through that experience. And then we can see that also we know Paul was... A great missionary who was there with a sense of purpose. His role as a missionary. We have many different people with different roles. This morning, uh, Christy and I hey, were talking about uh, their work within a, 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 uh, a school environment and within medical work. 
but also within church work and also in reaching out for Christ. Some people do different kinds of missionary work. Paul's my primary role was a church planter. Now, we know he was a tent maker, so he was bivocational. And so Paul went through all that kind of an experience. And in his church planting work, we can see that, indeed, the church at Philippi was begun. And the church at Philippi was a church that really only had about 10 years' history when Paul was in prison, was writing to them. It wasn't like he was writing to a church that was an old church that had been around for a long time. He was writing to a friends and trying to encourage them and say to them, be faithful, hang in there, continue on your path. Another thing we remember about Paul was he was a Roman citizen. Uh, Roman citizenship, as we're all aware, even as we think about citizenship today, um, is your connection with the environment in which you live. Roman citizenship in his day provided a lot of privilege. And it was a very important thing because as often as Paul managed to get in trouble, he was dependent on that Roman citizenship with the hope that it would get him out of trouble. I suppose it didn't get him completely out of trouble at times, that it only got him into maybe lesser trouble. Because we can see that in this particular case, Paul was in prison for about two years. And Paul was in prison several times for two years. But in this particular case, uh, we, even though he would claim Roman citizenship, that really did not save him from his issues and his challenges. Now, would he view that as, oh, poor me, God is punishing me? Or would he view it as Satan has gotten me again? Or how he would view this particular thing? We can find the answer to that question as we look at Philippians chapter 1. We can see that for Paul, even as he wrote to the Roman church in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that he understood his life to be tied to being a sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Because in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, to remind us, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Sacrifice means finding the will of God. Sacrifice means allowing the will of God to take control of you. Control of me. Control of Paul. Paul understood that. Even in a, as a Roman, citizenship, Roman citizen, he was going to have challenges. But he said, I know what the task is for us. Now, let's think beyond just Paul and think about this letter. Let's remember that he was writing to Philippi. Now, Philippi was a very Roman city. It was a city that had had many different experiences. Julius Caesar, we had the murder there, the, and this kind of thing. We remember that Paul took a level of pride in his citizenship. And even as we look and go back and, and, and note in the book of Acts, that Paul leaned on his citizenship, but still he ended up with this two-year kind of a prison environment. The law of Rome was the standard for their society. The morality and values of any government are anything but perfect. And I think we need to recognize Paul understood that, and we need to understand that. Just because a government says something is legal doesn't make it right. 
Just because it says this is the way that we should do things doesn't make it correct. We need to be looking for God's values, not the values that are offered by our world. Now, that's not saying all things are bad, but remember, I happen to be an American citizen. And I got to watch a recent election that confused things beyond belief. It was basically an election, if you went to the left, you were wrong. If you went to the right, you were wrong. And so, therefore, at the end of the question, when the question came by, it said, now choose, which wrong do you want? And the answer was, mm, maybe neither one, but I don't know what to do. But the, the, the point for us is to understand our standard for living, our value for is not always found in the government. Paul knew there were limitations within the Roman environment for what is right and what is wrong. Yet while he was in prison, he wrote the letters that we can read that have changed your life and mine. The letters... Read them as letters. Don't chop them out and pull out sentences and make a whole theology on one sentence. Read it as a letter. and Because if you wrote a letter to me or I wrote a letter to you, I would assume you would read the whole letter and get the context of what I was saying and not try to misinterpret or use words that I say to, to go to your own convenient thought pattern. Paul wrote letters to these churches. He shared his heart. He shared his burden. We talk about this magic word transparent in our society today. Paul was as transparent as he could possibly be. Now his vocabulary, even at the moment ago, I read a scripture and started hearing myself as I was reading, and I used the word ye several times because I grew up with King James Version of the Bible. My ye's and thy's and thou's are just very, very natural. I try to control them, but they pop out every now and then. Paul wrote with a writing style that was quite literary. He was very educated. It does not necessarily match you and me. Maybe it's a different style of writing, but he wrote from his heart, and it was transparent. It was the very depth and identity of who he was. Paul has always been hard, frankly speaking, for me to read or to understand. I have difficulty with Paul for a couple of reasons. In certain places we read Paul and he writes and he says, Oh, I wish it were that you were like me. Oh, I wish it was that, that you could understand things the way that I see it. And I can't help but, and I can remember in seminary talking with different friends of mine about how we view Paul as to whether or not he was the world's most proud individual or whether he was truly a humble servant. And there's a lot of confusion there. And that would really bother me if it wasn't for the fact that I recognize I am not very consistent either. Probably you're not always consistent. We're human beings. Sometimes we come across in a way that we didn't intend. We didn't mean to come across looking prideful. We didn't mean to come across looking like a know-it-all or whatever, but it just happened. Paul, sometimes in his writing, it just, I read it and I just, oh my goodness, here he is again. However, the, the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians, it just really strikes me. Because he could have used any of about five different terms for the word servant. They had different kinds of servants. In, in Greek, there are five, five different definitions for this, but one of them talks about a deacon. One is a personal servant, one is a hired servant, one is a house servant, and then one is 
a doulos. And I can use the word doulos because I know some of you have heard about that ship that travels around the world called the doulos as it delivers books to people all over. We understand the idea of doulos being a servant beyond just being uh, a household person, but as a slave. Paul's selection of that particular term really should strike us because it's a level of humility that we rarely would find in most people. And again, it's frustrating for me because I look at Paul and I look at Solomon. Solomon's the same way with me. Paul bothers me this way. Solomon bothers me this way. My favorite book of the Bible is the book of Ecclesiastes. It gets down to some blood and guts. It tells me how I should live. It tells me that my values are important. And yet, it was written, from what we understand, by Solomon. And this Solomon, we know the lifestyle that he ended up having. And we know that he had all these wives and they were worshiping other gods and he ended up supporting that. So how could it be that I would be supportive of or appreciate a book written by such a man? Again, how many of us in this room are 100% consistent in our walk? We all struggle. We are all sinners. We may not like to admit it, may not like to talk about it, but it is our reality. None of us are strong and powerful and have it all together. That's what Paul was saying to those people. He was saying, please, I am only a slave. I am the lowest of the low. He challenges them with that. And yet, within this same book, there is so much positive. Because even if he puts himself in a position that says he is a servant, 16 times in this book, this letter, 16 times he talks about joy. Today, my sermon is to say, today is the first Sunday for the year 2017. I hope you have joy in your heart. Now, I'm not talking about happiness and giddiness and comfortable and life is good. I'm talking about the joy of knowing that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. That anytime, any place, if you've got a problem, you can turn to God. You can ask Christ for His direction. You can ask that your values and goals would be those that God would give you. I would dream, since I already recognize that I am inconsistent, much worse probably than Paul, in jumping between a little pride and being very, very humble. I could only dream I would be able to ever reach any level of standard closer to where Paul is in his faith, in his spiritual walk, in the depth of being controlled by the Holy Spirit. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be in a prison and to be so focused on the things of God that I would forget my environment completely. And yet, that's what we find in this man's life. A willingness to be concerned about a church he planted. Writing a letter. Being concerned not to just this church, but to other churches. Multiple letters to multiple churches to encourage them and to say, enjoy, serve your Lord. 
I know you may have some daily challenges. I know there may be some struggles, but enjoy. Go forward. And I'm sure most people who would read that letter, at least I would, I would read that letter and say, how are you talking about joy? Look at where you are. In chapter 1, verses 8 through about 19, he says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that you lo- that love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the full, uh, fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has come clear uh, throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in my chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He is saying to the people that are receiving this letter, he's saying to the church at Philippians that he started and pastored, he's writing back to them and say, hang in there, be joyful, don't worry about my situation. This is not as bad as it seems. You're going to begin to conclude that because I'm a Christian, because of my commitment, I am suffering. I want you to know this is a type of suffering, but it's also an opportunity. In the prison, they had guards who had made decisions to follow Christ. In the prison, he had grown and he had had fellowship with other Christians. In the prison, in the worst of worst situations, in your mind and mine, he went forward. How would you do? How would I do? When I look at him, I can't help but wish that I had that strength. In verse 15 it says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, and others out of goodwill. But the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me where I am in chains. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He's saying, not everybody is even purely motivated in what they're doing. People around are saying and doing things in the name of Christ And not even in a healthy way. But his call is to say to you, to me, and the Philippian church, we've got to get out the message. If you've got a right heart, use your freedom. Stand fast in the liberty that Christ has set you free. Don't waste our opportunity to be used. So he goes ahead and he calls for them not to fear that we'll find that further on down in the Scripture where he, he lets us know that that is a major problem. Even as we jump down to verse 23, it says, I am torn between two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, 
which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I don't know how you view your life, but I want to remind you that your life is a gift from God. And as a Christian, your gift should not be wasted. Your gift is your energy. Your gift is your relationship with Jesus. And that gift must be shared. That's our joy. It's our joy to talk to other people about Christ. Now, you may not always be received in a positive way, but it is still your joy. It is your opportunity. Paul, even in prison, was using his opportunity. He changed a negative situation to a positive No, don't ask me, was Paul an optimist? I don't know. Maybe he was an optimist. Maybe he was not, not a realist. I'm not sure about him certainly not being a pessimist because it seems like in every circumstance did he find a way to function out of joy. Paul wouldn't allow himself to be depressed. Before his imprisonment, Paul and Timothy apparently felt that their bold witness was inadequate. Paul had developed an understanding that being in prison was not going to depress him or minimize his life's purpose. He was going to remain on focus regardless of his circumstances. Honestly, when I have the slightest problem in my life, oftentimes I find myself asking, Why, God? What did I do wrong? Why me? My dog dies. My cat dies. My wife's not satisfied with my answer. My car's broken. Why me? If I slid on the ice and my car hit a pole, I would probably ask the question, why me? What did I do? today to deserve this. I don't have time for this. I'm on my way to church. Now, the good news for me is that's not going to happen for me to get here. There'll be something that might slip and fall, but it wouldn't be my car. But his question, how can this situation or problem be used to serve the Lord? I wish I could have that kind of heart. Anything that he seemed to get into... It always came back to, how can I use this to serve God? This situation that I don't like, that I wouldn't choose, it's okay. Somehow, God must be glorified and I must find joy. Brothers and sisters, if we could find that kind of a heart, we would change this world. The lost people in our society, again, as we look at some of the principles that we can find in the Scripture here. It says very clearly that unbelievers are influenced by what they watch in our lives. You are Christ to many people. To the lost people around you. They don't go every day and open up their Bible and say, well, I'm going to see if I can learn a bit more about Jesus today. The only Jesus they ever know is you. And if they see love in your heart, and they see joy in your heart, 
and they see positive care from your spirit and your attitude and what you do for them, it will influence them. It does have value. A number of years ago, I had an opportunity in Southern California to meet Brother Yoon. Now, Brother Yoon, uh, we had actually uh, printed a book. It's called Heavenly Man. And yes, the answer for anybody that gets very, very panicky over uh, a book being a little bit charismatic. This one's got some charismatic thought, so prepare yourself if you ever read it. But it's a testimonial of Brother Yun being in prison in China. And he shares about the struggles that he had in breaking out and what it was like. He and others all got out of prison. Basically, not unlike Paul, the doors were open. He just walked out. And he went, walked out and he went to a different place, but he took a pathway that was not directly from China out, but he eventually got outside of China. And Brother Yun is a man that can share many, many spiritual uh, uh, gifting and, and stories for us to, to gain from. But Brother Yun, I guess, was one of the first people I've met that in so many ways reminded me of Paul. Because he faced so many issues that would have brought me down, that would have said to me, there's no hope you can continue to go forward, while in fact he did. Now he's been on the blacklist of uh, the government of China for many, many years. But Brother Yun had gotten uh, out of China and was able to escape and ended up in the United States. Uh, he travels all over the world, to be very honest, uh, usually sharing his story. Uh, about how God has worked. Uh, when I look at when I met Brother Yoon, and he shared his story, all I could hear was sacrifice. When I would think about Romans twelve one and two, or even Philippians one twenty one, where it would talk about for me to live is Christ. All I could see in, in the life of this man was that level of commitment. At the same time, I would say to us, I've certainly learned that life is not about comforts, conveniences, position, delegated authority, or many other things. At the same time, sin continues to challenge us as we relate to Paul's struggle, as we relate to Brother Yun's struggle, the, the struggles of life, the challenges of life, while at the same time saying, I want to be Jesus in the world in which I live. I want to be a witness for my Lord. Paul's letter is very clear. There is little need to embellish on the truth. I have always struggled when I listen to preachers preach, and they start off and say, today I'm going to talk to you about why birds fly south for the winter. Or maybe here, fly north for the winter. But the point is, you see these different, you, you get these same, um, these nice broad topics, and then they start picking and choosing from Scripture. When I read Paul's letter, it's not designed for us to pick this and pick that. It's designed to understand and grasp the whole of what his intent was. And Paul wrote with intent to challenge people who say they follow Christ to follow with a sense of joy. 
And so, in verses 20 to 26, it describes the heart of Paul. He describes his burden and love for the Philippians as a relationship of joy. Even as he encourages them to remain on task. In a sense, is that not the same challenge that we have? In verses 27 to 30, we can see that for a true Christian, there is no cheap grace. We're either saved or we're lost. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. It also says, stand firm in one spirit and be not frightened. Believe in Him but also expect suffering. We live in a very changing world, changing values. Postmodernism has taken hold of us in many, many ways. And we use the word postmodernism with some very interesting terms because the vastly important thing for the Christians at the end of the 20th century is that we've got to learn who we are and understand our relationship to culture. That by definition, postmodernism, the meaning of the word post, is because it denies the existence of any ultimate principles and it lacks the optimism of there being a scientific, philosophical, or religious truth which will explain everything for everybody. A characteristic of the so-called modern mind. The paradox of postmodern position is that in placing all principles under the scrutiny of its skepticism, it must realize that even its own principles are not beyond questioning. There are philosophers who have gotten wrapped up in that description uh, in trying to help us to understand the society in which we live. As we Consider Paul. Paul wrote these words. He had no idea if he would ever get out of prison again. He was in prison with an infinite number of days standing before him. He still tried to write with a positive word of encouragement. Paul's expectation for the Philippians, testimony of worthy gospel. And he goes ahead and describes what a worthy gospel is. And it's something you and I have to define as well. And he challenged them and said, stand firm. That means know what you believe. He says, stand without compromise. That means within those beliefs, there are going to be things that challenge you and you're going to have to know what your theology is and where you stand. The church at Philippi was established as a body to serve. And show the love of Christ. That love is best found as we lead people to Christ. Our church is the same in that we are to know what we believe and teach those beliefs. Another thing we see here is that Paul challenges them to share without fear in verse 28. Our world depends on a Christian witness. Fear can be internal can be external. It can come from an emperor worship situation, which is what Paul experienced. For the church in Philippi, the society was Roman. And that included that kind of governmental control. 
For the Christian, he was standing on very shaky ground. It was very frightening for... You could watch people being killed in the name of Christ. In our day, we must ask how we are going to allow our freedoms to help us serve our Lord. And in verse 29, it says, Believe and suffer. Fear not... And again, I keep reflecting on a church in China that says to where I was with brothers and sisters and the comment was, we do not fear persecution. We only fear becoming passive in our faith. Brothers and sisters, if our faith becomes passive, our world is going to hell in a basket. If you give up and I give up and we do not give every effort to care for our world in love, in joy, in concern, and without fear. Paul said, look at me. I'm in prison. I know what it is to be beaten for Christ. But I don't fear. I can't fear. I don't fear being in prison. You shouldn't fear being in prison. I don't fear suffering. I don't fear ridicule. I don't fear people laughing at me. I don't fear people rejecting what I have to say. What I fear is God. Brothers and sisters, we do need to fear God. Ecclesiastes 12 and 13. The whole duty of man is to fear God or respect God and obey His commands. Paul grasped that concept. And he applied it in his life. It was his identity. Joy, joy, joy as we go into 2017. We have meaning. We have purpose. We have reason to be here. Praise God. I'm not in this world without any direction. That is joy. My prayer for you and prayer for me is that we appreciate that joy and we use it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Paul's message. We thank You for his letter. We pray that we would allow what he wrote to these people to clearly be a letter that our church can receive. Father, help us to to see that we have nothing to fear of this world. That, that struggles and challenges that we face are so insignificant. And yet we find ourselves being controlled by those things. Father, we would ask You would forgive us for that kind of sin. For not having courage and strength and joy in serving You. That we don't appreciate what we have. Father, we thank You for salvation. We thank You that You have reached out and cared for us. We thank You for the blood of Christ on a cross that we might have eternal life. Father, help us to be spiritually hungry, brothers and sisters, that we would be willing to do anything to see our world reached for our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.